0: Our reading this afternoon is from Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. This is what Holy Scripture says. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good afternoon. It's good to be back with all of you. I've been off for some time from preaching, and I'm especially excited to begin this new series on the teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. I mentioned last week, if you were with us, uh, if you're interested in knowing what the passage will be each week, I encourage you to friend me on Facebook. I'll be... um, committed to posting a a few uh, items throughout the week, leading us up to the sermon so that you'll come having at least some sense of what we're going to talk about, and hopefully it'll encourage you and edify you in this time. I prayed for you this week. I prayed that you would experience a deeper knowledge of God's love today. So let's see if God answers that prayer. We are diving into the Gospel of Luke. Luke is one of the four Gospels that you'll find at the beginning of the New Testament. And the Gospels are books focused on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. An interesting bit of trivia about Luke is this it's the longest Gospel, not by chapters, but by verses. And in fact, Dr. Luke, who is the largest contributor to the New Testament, wrote not only Luke in Acts. So if you combine those two books, uh, you have 2,157 verses compared to Paul, who is second on the list with 2,032 verses. So Luke is an important author to read and understand, obviously, in the New Testament. And he writes with an agenda in mind. And that agenda seeks to answer two questions. Who is Jesus and what did he accomplish? Now, our passage this morning is Luke's answer to those two questions. Who is Jesus and what did he accomplish? And what's fascinating about this story in Luke 4 is that you find a version of it in Matthew and in Mark, but not at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's later on. Only Luke decided to put this story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Why? Why? Well, it's because Luke wants to introduce you to Jesus right from the start. And he wants you to know from the very beginning who he is and what he plans to do. Now, you have to have your Bible open to see this, which I encourage you to do so you can follow along. Uh, You'll notice your translation may have a heading right above verse 14. It says something like this. Jesus begins his ministry. That's where our passage starts, the beginning of his public ministry. And verses 14 and 15 tell us that Jesus had been teaching throughout Galilee. Now, I want to show you this simple map. This will give you a sense for where we are geographically in the story. You'll notice uh, the northern part of the map. There's the Sea of Galilee. It's north of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus uh, begins teaching. Uh, throughout that region, gaining a reputation, and everyone is loving it. Uh, we're told in verse 15 that Jesus was being glorified by all. Now, the Greek word there is, was usually reserved uh, for God, referencing uh, glorifying God. But here it's used for Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Beatles-level popularity in the area. Now, I would even say we're talking K-pop band status, like BTS, who I have no idea who they are. I looked it up. And apparently, they're very popular. Uh, But Jesus is doing the teaching circuit, and everyone's eating it up. We're told in, in verse 16, at this point, though Jesus returns home. He returns home to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a rural, smaller village town. Uh, Scholars estimate there probably weren't more than 400 people in, in this village. In a small village like this, their synagogue most likely was a private room in a home that had been modified for a service. So we're talking about a small intimate service, it would have included prayer, it would have included two scripture readings, one would have come from God's law, the Torah, the second would have come from the Old Testament prophets. And that's where Jesus begins his reading. We're told in verses 16 and 17 that he, he goes up and he's given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Now, they didn't have books in Jesus' day. They had scrolls. So this slide gives you an idea. I mean, this is a modern-day scroll, Hebrew scroll of the book of Isaiah. But it gives you an idea of what Jesus had to do. He had to open it up, unroll it, and find this portion of the Word of God. And he cites here in the passage Isaiah 61 and also makes an allusion to Isaiah 58. Now that portion of Isaiah is significant because in it, it talks about a prophetic figure described as someone who's going to to declare the arrival of divine salvation for the nation of Israel. It speaks about a prophet who is to come to save Israel. So let's read it again because this is the key to understand this passage. Let's read it again in verses 18 through 19. This is, imagine Jesus reading this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year. Of the Lord's favor. Now, with the rest of our time, I'd like to answer three questions. The first one is this why did Jesus read this passage from Isaiah? The second is why did the crowd eventually want to kill Jesus? And third, what difference does it make for us today? So that's where we're going. So, first, Why did Jesus read this passage from Isaiah? Well, we're told that rumors were spreading uh, about Jesus throughout the region. And we can imagine people whispering to one another, trying to find an answer. "Who, Who is this guy? I mean, look at these amazing things he's doing. Who is he? John Ortberg wrote a whole book answering That question, and he argues in the book that normally when someone dies, their impact on the world uh, begins to recede. But Jesus' impact was greater a hundred years after his death than during his life. And in fact, now 2,000 years later, he has more followers in more places than ever. Ortberg writes this about the lasting impact of Jesus. He says, it is in Jesus' name that the desperate people pray, grateful people worship, and angry people swear. From christenings to weddings to sick rooms to funerals, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. So why, with all the possible passages available to him, did Jesus read from Isaiah? Because it revealed his identity. Isaiah was speaking of the Messiah. And notice in verse 18, what we read, it speaks of someone who has been anointed which is why Jesus is referred to as Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, just so you know. Uh, it actually, you could say Jesus, the anointed one. So this anointing took place, if you were to read earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 3, during his baptism. You may be familiar with that story. We're told there in verses 21 and 22 that, uh, you know, when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There is the anointing that takes place that Jesus has set apart for his role in his ministry. So this event is related to his identity. He's the anointed, long-awaited Messiah. And, the ten, and, and we see uh, that Jesus is answering that question, who is this guy, by reading Isaiah 61. And I love, I love how the story is told. In verse 20, Jesus finishes reading this, uh, this passage. He gave the scroll... Back to the attendant. We're told he sat down. And there's this tension. It's like a heavy fog in the room. And we're told that every eye in the room is fixed on Jesus. And I imagine Jesus allowing this dramatic pause. You feel it? And the silence filled the room, as everyone leaned in, wondering, what is he going to say? And Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, Jesus looked at everyone and quietly announced, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm the anointed one you've been waiting for. Now, Jesus read Isaiah 61 to declare his identity, who he was, but that's not only what he was doing here. He was also declaring his mission, what he came to accomplish. He's answering both questions, not only who he is, but what he came to do. And so we know his identity, but what was his mission? What's he telling us here? Well, let's look again at the reading. If you were to read those verses again, notice what it says. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you notice the repetition here? To proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim. At the core of Jesus' mission... Was teaching, proclaiming, announcing. And I think that's an appropriate reason for us to spend this next year focused on the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke because teaching was a central focus. For Jesus, That's why we're jumping right into chapter 4. We're not looking at passages in Luke about what he did as much as looking at what he said. And what was the central message of Jesus? Freedom, liberation, emancipation. That's what Jesus came to do. And who is his focus group? Who is his target focus group? Who is he trying to reach? The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. You may have noticed this last line in the reading. It talks about the year of the Lord's favor. That was an Old Testament concept called the year of Jubilee. And this was a moment in time when all the debts of the people were null and void, declared forgiven. The year of jubilee gave everyone a fresh start. Those who were imprisoned by debt, burdened with financial obligations, you're freed, you're liberated, you're emancipated from those debts. And this was Jesus' message to the people. But but listen to this. The teaching here. It wasn't only about what he was proclaiming and announcing. Did you get that? Jesus wasn't just proclaiming freedom. Announcing that that freedom was coming. Do you notice in the third line what does it say? He says, you know, leading up to there, He says to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, and then He says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So what is Jesus saying? He not only came to announce the good news, He came to accomplish the good news. Do you see the difference? See how important that is? He came to actually liberate the oppressed, to give sight to the blind, To free the captives. This is where Jesus Christ separates himself from so many other religious leaders and teachers. The Buddha, for example, left his teachings, left his example for you to follow. For you to learn from how to live a good life. How to be a good person. And that, my friends, is what other religions offer you. Wonderful teachings about how to be a good person, amazing examples to follow, and how to live a selfless life. And that can go a long way in helping a lot of people. I want to live in a world with a lot of people trying to do that and having some success in doing that. But what if the set of rules and stories and pithy sayings aren't enough? What if looking at the examples of good, moral people doesn't cut it because you realize your problem is deeper than a lack of information or because you've had a bad example set for you? Jesus offers you something more. Maybe this illustration can help reveal the difference in what I'm trying to say here about what Jesus... Is announcing versus what other religions might offer you. Imagine you're in a burning building. You're trapped on the top floor. The firefighter stands on the ground and shouts instructions on how you can try to put out the fire and get out of the building. And perhaps he even grabs a tool and shows you how to use it. And let's just take this illustration to its extreme here. The firefighter even climbs up the ladder and gets in the room next to you and shows you how to do it. Friends, that's what other religions offer you. Unfortunately, that's what many churches and Christians try to convince you is at the core of the Christian faith, and it's not. It's not. Jesus climbs the ladder, grabs you, and brings you down to safety. That's what Jesus is announcing here in Luke 4. So that's the answer to our first question. Jesus read from Isaiah 61 to reveal his identity and his mission. Now let's go to the second question. Why did the crowd want to kill Jesus? Well, they didn't at first. Did you notice that? I mean, in verse 22, they spoke well of him. They They marveled at him. We're like, this is amazing. We know this guy. I knew him when he was this young. And look at him. Famous. Doing miracles. A great teacher. This is good news. You see, Jesus was announcing the very thing that every Jew hoped for. Because Israel was under Roman occupation. Uh, The Jews saw themselves as the poor The oppressed, the captives. You see, they saw themselves as the ones the Messiah would come to liberate, to free. So, this was wonderful news for them. So, they're ecstatic. Especially since they heard of all the miracles Jesus had done in Capernaum. And Jesus refers to that in verse 23. Jesus knows their look. They want fireworks, they want him to perform, they want to see his power. They knew something was different about Joseph's son, they knew something was special about him. And they're ready to storm Jerusalem, they're ready to kick the Romans out. They're like, let's do it, Jesus, let's go. And then Jesus had to go and ruin it by clarifying his mission using two illustrations from the Old Testament, two stories from the Old Testament, I should say. The first, from the life of the great prophet Elijah. Now, there was a famine, many widows in Israel who needed help. And Jesus says, but Elijah was sent to help help out a vulnerable Exposed widow from Sidon. In other words, she wasn't a Jew. The widow wasn't one of God's chosen people. She wasn't a part of the in crowd. See the problem? And then Jesus refers to the story from the life of the great prophet Elisha a time when there were many lepers in Israel, and Elisha helped a rich, powerful man, Naaman, a Syrian. Again, not a Jew. Notice quickly how the crowd's attitude changes. In verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath the greek word used for wrath brings to mind a boiling kind of anger that rises up inside you these people were spitting mad so mad so furious they wanted jesus dead why I think it's difficult for us to understand the ethnic prejudice that the Jews had for Gentiles. Um, it's certainly a part of this anger. It's part of what's going on here. I mean, Gentiles are subhuman. They're not worthy. Uh, and these people could not abide the idea that God would show mercy and favor towards The Gentiles, that God would send the Messiah to rescue them as well. They were the problem. So, this was extremely offensive. So offensive, they're ready to kill Jesus. And eventually they did. But not here, not in this story. They tried. That's how the story ends, verse 29 30. But it wasn't the right time. And so Jesus just walks right through the crowd. Um, you know, we don't see this kind of thing very often, I think, in our circles, this kind of prejudice that's so extreme and so intense. Um, I think, unfortunately, we're seeing some of it in our country today, and it's heartbreaking and sad. Um, But I don't think that's where we find ourselves in this story. I think the place we find ourselves in this story where we can identify is here. It's in the desire to control God. Because I think that's actually at the very core of the issue. Um, It's the very core of what makes the, the crowd so angry. Jesus refused to do things the way they wanted him to do it. Jesus had a different agenda, a different mission. And it was a mission that was in direct opposition to their agenda and their mission. And I think everyone in this room can identify with that struggle. All of us have been there and maybe are there right now. Think of it this way. Jesus refused to be boxed in by the plan they had for his life. And I think the same can be true of us. We want to box Jesus in. You think you know what God needs to do for you. But God's vision for you is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. And so much better. You have a checklist of items you want God to do for you. You have a plan for your life of how things are supposed to pan out. And you're sitting here today, and you are spitting mad. You are angry because God isn't following your plan. Your heart is bitter. It is foul. And it's not that you're ready to kill Jesus, but you're certainly close to turning your back on him. Because you're asking the question, what's the point? He's not doing what I want him to do. So what's the point? I've shared in the past that Olivia and I, my wife, have been in couples therapy. You know, we've been on that journey for about three years. You know, when we started, my timeline, about four or five weeks. I figured, tune up, you know. Work out a few kinks. Maybe two months at the max. That's what I imagined. Here we are three years later. (laughs) We're still in the process. And if I'm honest, I've had my moments of annoyance with God. And if I'm really being honest, I've had my moments of being angry with God. And if I'm really, truly honest, there have been times... When I've wanted to push Jesus off the cliff. Lord, forgive me. Because there are times when I'm done. Times when I'm tired of working on it. Times when I'm not seeing Olivia change because she refuses to just do things the way I want her to do it or admit I'm right. But most of all, I'm sick and tired of my own struggle with the same old issues. I'm tired of the ways my own selfish heart repeats itself like a broken record. Three years, and I'm still struggling with things I struggled with three years ago. I just want Jesus to fix it. Just fix it. And I don't understand why he doesn't. It's through this experience though that I'm realizing I'm not that much different than this crowd who wanted Jesus dead. And maybe you can relate. Here's where we need to go to this final question. Um, What difference does any of this make for us? Well, it's It's easy to hear this story about Jesus proclaiming good news to the poor and assume he's talking about somebody else. And some have interpreted this to mean that Jesus came for the physically and financially poor, the lower class, uh, the homeless and such. And it's true, Jesus was particularly good at reaching those folks. And the reason he was so good at reaching those folks is because the poor have often been humbled by life's circumstances. They know they need God. They're already desperate. And you notice Jesus used those two stories, one of a poor widow, but Naaman was wealthy, and he was actually powerful. He had leprosy. And I think we're supposed to see through that that Jesus came for all types of people. There's no one in this room that's outside the circle of who Jesus came to reach. The key is whether you're the type of person who's humble enough to meet your need for him. That you need to be saved. That you need to be liberated from your own sense of self-sufficiency. That's really at the heart of what we're talking about. The poor person is the person who's given up. On their own self-sufficiency. Yes, Jesus came to heal the physically blind. He also came to heal the spiritually blind. And yes, he came to embrace the physical outcasts. Like the kids at your school, maybe, who are sitting by themselves at lunch and don't have friends. Or kind of like those outcasts. Jesus came for them. He also came for spiritual outcasts. For those who feel rejected and feel judged and don't have community, don't have friends. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus was doing more than giving us example on the cross. He actually accomplished our liberation and our freedom there. And the reason this makes a difference for us today is that Jesus opens the way for you and I to have a relationship, a thriving relationship with the living God. That is why it makes a difference for us. That is why it's good news. In Jerusalem, Jesus didn't walk through the crowd to escape the wrath of the people who hated him. On that Friday, Jesus let himself be beaten and led to the cross to face not only the wrath of the crowd, but the wrath of God against sin and disease and alienation. Jesus dying on the cross was more than a loving example for us of how to sacrifice for other people. Jesus actually opened the prison doors on that day. He liberated us on that day. We no longer have to fear judgment and condemnation. We no longer have to wonder, am I good enough, God? Do I deserve this? Jesus frees us from that prison. But you have to be willing to admit your need for it. You have to give up on saving yourself. You have to hear the good news that someone has done this for you. Because that is a liberating moment. And I pray that you would experience that. But at the same time, I warn you, because it's scary. Let me end with this story. I'm running over. You guys have probably been following the news about Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. Uh, You know that that extensive devastation took place there. Category 5 hurricane struck the island. Winds reached speeds you know, over 200 miles per hour, massive flooding, devastating entire neighborhoods. I have a, a two photos show some of the devastation that took place there. It's heartbreaking. Um, there were amazing stories that came out of this tragedy, and Brent Lowe is one of them. Got a photo of, of Brent. Read this, this this week. Read about Brent. Brent was huddled in his bathroom with some neighbors. When his entire roof was blown off of his house. Outside, the ocean was surging, it was swallowing up the land. He knew he had to escape, and he also knew he had to take his 24 year old son and leave the house in order to find shelter. And oh, yeah, his son has cerebral palsy, can't walk. Oh, and, and by the way, Mr. Lowe had one other problem he's blind. Been blind for 11 years. So he put his grown son on his shoulders, stepped off his porch into the swirling current, and the water came up to his chin. And he clutched on to the shoulders of his neighbors. And with his son on his back, he felt his way to the closest home that was still standing. It was about five minutes away. It seemed like an eternity. Now, they made it safely. It's an incredible story to put yourself in Mr. Lowe's shoes. But what does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with Luke 4? What does it have to do with us? I share it because I'm trying to get you to see how desperate you are for someone to save you, and unfortunately, the message you will often hear over and over and over again is to be like Mr. Lowe, Uh, that Brent Lowe is an inspiration for you to do greater things, to have courage, to overcome your obstacles, to face the danger, step into the water He's blind. He's in the middle of a hurricane. The water's up to his chin. He's carrying his grown son on his back. Be like Brent Lowe. Friends, that's not the good news you need today. And that's not the good news that I bring to you. The offensive news I bring to you, the kind of news that got Jesus killed is that you are Brent Lowe's son. Strapped to his back. Lost. Unless someone comes and saves you. And I invite you today to that person who is Jesus. Let me pray for us, Lord, we thank you for this good news. Uh, We thank you for the message of grace. Jesus, free us from the the prisons, the jail cells that so often lock us in and take our hearts captive and our minds and allow us to live in the freedom you offer us. Jesus, thank you for what you accomplished for us on the cross. And may we, in this time of taking the Lord's Supper, celebrate that and know and taste your goodness and be encouraged by it. I pray in your name. Amen.